Welcome to PodCash, the portable professional development podcast from Cash Alumni. Cash Alumni is the fastest growing association of professionals in care, health, and education, and we're happy to have you here. This is where you'll hear from specialists and experts from across our network. Here's what's coming up. Skills are so transferable. Those skills that you've got to help and support people can be used across a multitude of different occupations, you know. So whether that's because you want to do something different or because you're forced to do something different, taking the blinkers off a little bit suddenly exposes you to it like a, a huge amount of opportunities that you probably wouldn't otherwise think about. Let's jump in to this week's episode. I'm really lucky this morning to be here with Dan and Dan. I noticed that we've, we've, we've come coordinated and that we're wearing the same outfit in different areas. This is a nice coincidence. Can you tell me a little bit about who you are and who Skills Miner are? Yes, yeah, certainly, yeah. So, hello everyone. I'm Dan Bartley, uh, product manager at Skills Miner. I've been here three years now. The genesis of what it is that Skills Miner does is all about helping individuals uh, find work. Where, the way we try to do that is rather than looking at just previous experience of what people have done in the past, we're trying to focus on the skills that people have as a result of their life experiences, whether that's uh, through through jobs that they've done in the past, whether it might be things that they've done in a voluntary capacity, it might be just things that they've done helping members of the family, et cetera. And that's something that we've always focused on over the last few years, helping that individual. But what we've tried to adopt and build over the last six months or so is to develop that into a more full marketplace offer. So now we're also being able to join up that pool of talent that we're developing for individuals and make it accessible to to employers as well. So that then means that employers can look at that pool of talent in a different way, looking at skills and not just previous experience, works in exactly the same way that it does for individual job seekers or learners, whoever that might be, and they can find that group of people as well. We've spoken before about some of the job things. So I'm like, obviously, there is already a Skills Miner podcast that people can go and listen to um, and listen to me and Kirsty talk about all of the things that are wrong with the job market and sort of why Skills Miner existed in the first place. But for people who haven't heard that, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and why you're talking to us? Yeah, absolutely. In that podcast, obviously, we spoke an awful lot about the benefits to uh, individual people that might be looking for work, whether that be uh, job seekers, where it could be students and learners. We've had a real focus as well in the last few months trying to target people that are kind of excluded from the labour market a little bit, those people that are economically inactive for for a multitude of reasons. Um, We're trying to focus a little bit more as well on, on people that might be suffering in work poverty or underemployed, all of those scenarios that have sprung up, particularly I think in the in the last few months. And what we do with everybody, it's it's, it's still the same approach. For no matter what we do, we try to leverage people's skills. We're interested in rather than just focusing purely on what jobs people have done before and trying to find them the same job again, which might be fine. We can do that, of course. But what we're interested in doing is looking at the skills you've got as a result of the jobs that you've done or the experience that you've gained and enabling you then to find alternative occupations that might be more suited to your skills. Maybe if you don't want to do the type of work that you've been doing for a long time, or maybe you can't. Again, even since possibly we did that last podcast, we've probably been through another few rounds of COVID. <laughs> there's been more implications with Brexit. The labour market's changed dramatically. You know, there's, there's, there's more vacancies than there's ever been before. There's less unemployed people. So all of those dynamics have completely changed. So we still do all of that, like we discussed on the last podcast, but we've also now had a real focus as well on trying to help employers as well 
who've got a similar mindset, they're looking to recruit people with the right skills rather than just that occupational experience. And so we've tried to really create, I suppose, a marketplace for, to join up those two worlds, those ideological worlds, if you like. You know, employers that are looking to do things differently and job seekers, for want of a better term, that are looking to to use those skills. That's great. And you talked there a little bit about sort of moving away from just looking at the jobs people have done and actually helping people to identify their skills and, and, and look at what they're qualified for, like outside of just looking for either progression from the last job role or that same job somewhere else, if, if that's what they're looking for. And when I first started working with Skills Miner, as a careers advisor, as someone as a, who's worked as an employability advisor, when thinking about what Skills Miner would be useful for, was thinking primarily about people who maybe didn't understand their skill set or who were at the beginning of their career and had maybe done a couple of jobs, but were looking for like what it is that actually floats their ball or what they're passionate about. But actually playing with it for a little bit longer and using it with members of Cash Alumni to help them to identify what's next. What I've noticed is that there's a lot of people who are actually really like established in a career where because a lot of people like in early years in care, in 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 like my sort of background, like advice and support type roles, there's no wrong path. Like you follow this higgledy piggledy, like stepping stony bit to jobs. It can be really easy for people to forget that jobs that are in their past have skills and experiences attached to them that can combine with that like the shiniest newest job that they've got where often I think people have this blind spot to like because it's the newest job in your career you think of that as being the best one so you want to like build on from there and using skills minor and looking at that people going oh yeah like I hadn't even thought about this experience that I have from when I was 23 and actually opening up like whole new career paths for people who actually have been fairly successful in navigating a career so far. Yeah, absolutely. And that's surprised. It is. I mean, I think it's a really interesting thing. I think you've just mentioned it. I think we're all guilty of it. We, first of all, we don't think about our own skills enough. And it's really hard to, if, if, you know, I, I, I'm like I say, I'm guilty. It's really hard to be objective about your skills, to take a step back from where you are. And if you were to go and like write a CV, or if most people were to go away and try and write their own CV and list those skills in kind of granular terms, really, really hard to do, you know. And I think that's that's one of the th- that's one of the things that we try to address with Skills Miner quite quickly when you when you use the tool. That as soon as you can start listing the things that you've done, you're exposed to those skills. And I think everybody does it who I've spoken to. They look at them and kind of go, "Oh yeah, I do do that," but I wouldn't have thought of describing myself being able to being able to do that skill. And I think that's that's something that we need to kind of get better at. You know, that 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 using those skills to be able to see that our career pathways isn't linear and I think that's where it leads on to the second point that you've all there's almost like a fog of war around what you think you can do as a career because you do the job that you're currently doing and you think you're on this kind of particular pathway because that's just logically how humans think isn't it that we're going down a pathway we're not kind of looking to the left and to the right and I think again that's something that we're we're really keen to try and explore with people that you don't just have to see yourself uh, on a particular pathway because skills are so transferable that whether you're in early years like you've just mentioned those skills that you've got to to help and support people can be used across a multitude of different occupations you know so whether that's because you want to might want to do something different or because you're forced to do something different 
taking the blinkers off a little bit suddenly exposes you to it like a, a huge amount of opportunities that you probably wouldn't otherwise think about. Thinking about things on a skills basis rather than on like a, a whole job basis where like if you look at say for example like my career I go oh well journalism I've done this and I've done that and career as advice and, uh, and you take those things as, a, as one big thing there is that cognitive bias where you weight your skills as being worth more if you got paid for a certain job. Whereas actually some of my most valuable skills came from when I worked like in a music venue, doing customer service, taking like people from different backgrounds, like to on a tour and doing for me, skills minors really helpful in removing that that bias about the weighting of your skills and actually what is worth more to an employer. Cause actually if they're advertising that they want these skills, it doesn't matter where you got them from. It just matters that you can demonstrate them. I do think there's there's also the degree that the kind of employers need to maybe catch up a little bit with that way of thinking as well. I think that that's where the challenge comes from because we're trying to together push that envelope a little bit from both perspectives, getting people to think differently about the skills and how valuable they are. And you're absolutely right. You know, everybody starts off somewhere, don't they? At some stage, everybody had never had a job before and you had to use the skills that you've got from whatever pathway you've took to that point, whether that's, you know, formal education or, you know, voluntary work or wherever it might be. And somehow we all managed to get into that first job. Employers probably need to be... I think, a little bit more cognizant of, of skills and the values to them rather than looking at a CV and the first thing they're looking for is that oh, five years previous experience in the job that I'm applying for. Because sometimes I kind of think if you, you know, to use that old saying, if you do what you've always done, you're always going to get what you've always got, you know, and, I, and it, it's understandable because it's, it's less risk doing things that way. But if you bring people in with that more diverse skill set or bringing it from different like occupational areas or different sectors, then you're more likely to hopefully get different results, you know, and, and bringing bringing in new blood that way is, I think, a, a way to a way to achieve that. We're seeing that a little bit because obviously we've been using skills minor with members with with individuals who are members of Cash Alumni for for a, over a year now for for a little while where people have been able to go on and identify their own skills and use that skills map that like this is what you got and where you got it from and like how confident are you with these skills that you've got here's where we think you might be based on the job you've done and they've been able to use that information to put together their CV or to identify and to apply for jobs that they might not necessarily have considered before but recently we've started using skills minor with employers as well so we've now got some employer members of cash alumni who are using skills minor to sort of reverse mine and look for candidates looking at skill sets there are so few people available in early years and in social care and we see especially at the minute with what's happening with wages we see a lot of people leaving very stressful very involved very big big jobs that that have a lot of responsibility for jobs that have less responsibility but are around the same amount of, of pay you might be working sort of more social hours than you might be in in those other those other areas and what that's left employers with is it's obviously like they're stuck a bit because they haven't got those people who have the previous experience and the qualifications but early years education health and social care those roles generally are sort of values-based recruitment. And what we're saying that the employers that we've been playing with skills minor with is that they're able to remove themselves from the looking for 
a qualification and previous experience and they're looking now for the right person for the job because that other stuff can come with it. Um, do you think there's more that employers can do to make that work? I think so, yeah. And, and I, unfortunately, I've not got this stuff right with me, but it, there's that uh, stat about most people now have five kind of careers in their in their lifetime. And that doesn't mean like just five different employers or the same job five times. It's five different careers. That's for both individuals again, but employers also need to, I think, recognize that, you know, that that's always been the way that it is, or maybe it has been in, in recent years, at least, or recent decades, maybe once upon a time, that wasn't the case. If employers start aligning with that message that actually five different careers in your lifetime means that you're going to be recruiting people at some points when you're recruiting from different backgrounds, I think that's really important. I think where you have a lot of sympathy with employers is there isn't really a huge amount of support out there for, for them to be able to understand that there's a methodology behind all of this. So if you're looking to recruit somebody and you're looking for a toolkit that's out there for you to be able to kind of say, right, who is the right type of person for me to look for? Do many employers know that they can recruit people with different skills backgrounds? Well, probably they do, but do they know what that actual methodology and framework is? And obviously that's what SkillsMind is all about. And when you say your employees have been looking at that a little bit, that's hopefully what they're kind of gaining from that. You know, they're not probably just looking at people with the exact previous experience match but they're also seeing people that have a proportional match to that occupation or that vacancy that they're looking for as long as they're thinking long term in terms of you know they might have to get somebody and then do a little bit of on the job training to fill those skills gaps that should hopefully help to address the i mean especially in certain sectors of that i know you are involved with don where there is like a bit of a almost like crisis at the moment you know because there's so many unfilled vacancies and people and organizations really struggling to fill some of those vacancies so i i absolutely think there is more employers can do but there does need to be more support for them out there as well to, to understand that one of the things that you said there actually i've never thought about this before but when you're talking about people having multiple careers now like obviously wouldn't know that when I was at school you were told not a job hop and that you know like you should stay with your career your employer for a long time otherwise people might think that you're a bit flaky and we know that that's not true because that's not how today's world works at all but do you think that's part of the problem because in the olden days like when our mums and dads were were at school and they were leaving to look at a career employers did expect to take somebody on at that entry level role and then to keep them forever. And they would expect somebody to stay there for 25 years and to, to work their, their whole career in progress through at that company and sort of invest in them and do all of that recruitment sort of at the bottom level of pay. Do you think that that's part of the problem that we'll all have all of these multiple careers and it's because we're not necessarily sticking it out with one employer who will invest in Yeah, it? I think that is absolutely the problem. And I, I'm old enough to remember getting that advice myself and we both come from an area where actually if if, if I'd have if I'd have probably listened to that advice I'd be working in an industry now that just didn't exist anymore you know the the, the kind of heavy industry that used to exist where I live that was around when I was a young lad looking for my first job just isn't there anymore. So that would have completely and utterly backfired on me. And I'm sure it's the same for lots of people. And maybe it's always been the way, but it seems like that's happened on steroids recently with everything that's all the changes that have happened in the world, you know. There absolutely is a is a place that the messaging at that very early stage needs to kind of go out the job hopping, probably not the right term, but 
an acceptance and a promotion of the fact that you will not be in the same job and the same industry and certainly the same company for your entire career. I just can't see that happening for, for hardly anybody anymore. So how do employers, like I know that we don't currently use SkillsMiner in this way, but it is possible for it to be used in this way. What solutions are there for employers to figure out what their current workforce's skills are so that when they are looking at that keeping people bit rather than that person leaving to say for example go and work in a shop because it's easier to get to and it's it's the hours are better or any of those different things for the same pay how do employers keep that person and move them through if they're not identifying themselves as someone who necessarily sees themselves in that next job role yeah uh, and it's a it's a really good question there's a there's obviously well, there'll be several schools of thought on different ways to do it. There's there's some really big companies out there that approach this on, as, as more of a kind of project piece of work. You know, they use software to advertise the fact that they've got a new project going on and who would like to be involved. And it's less about skills. It's more about communications tool, a bit almost like a social media type approach to, to how you run uh, projects in your workforce. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't have its place, but you've got to be in a really decentralized, like flat hierarchy organization for that to work. Because if, let's say, if, if your organization was running a project and it was for six months long and you said, as you done, oh, I want to go and do that, then who's going to backfill your your role for, for kind of six months. So our approach is to much more, is again to focus on the actual skills requirements of a particular job. And with succession planning, it really benefits from having that kind of structure because every single job, we've got 3000 occupations in our database and there's linkages between every single one of those jobs from a skills perspective. Um, without going into the, like, the kind of figures too much, there's like kind of a billion interconnections between those 3,000 jobs and the 15,000 skills we've got in that occupational database. So if you're looking to either succession plan or progression plan a particular occupation, then we can look at the, the, the skill sets of those other roles that you've got in that workforce and then be able to kind of say how well suited that job role is to another job role. But obviously every single job and every, just like every single person is unique you know there's no two that are the same other so we also obviously give people the ability to to refine the requirements of the job and for individuals to be able to almost like self-validate the skills that they've got so if you had like a huge pool of people that you could you'd, you'd be looking at to progression plan up into the next level then you'd be able to kind of differentiate that from that pool by those individuals by them self-validating the skills that they have gotten to what particular levels of expertise they've got for each of those skills as well. So again, I think it's it's taken more of a skills-based but quite systematic approach whilst really trying to recognise the uniqueness of each individual person and each individual job role. That makes loads of sense. But thinking about that from like my experience in recruitment and working with employers and in welfare to work like that sounds like so much more work than putting together a job description and then sifting cvs and and interviewing people who've put themselves forward for that job how do employers know what skills they're looking for well like i said our occupational database can give employers and I think it's in the same way that we described individuals not being very objective about the skills that they require. Often it can be the same with employers. You know, they, they advertise and post vacancies for, for, for opportunities that they've got. 
and it's a, I'm not saying this is true of everybody, of course, it can be a little bit of a kind of sheep dip approach to this is the job that I'm advertising for. But if you're, let's see, going back to your example earlier, if you're looking for an early years educator, we know the core essential skills, knowledge and competencies that are required for that job. We've even got the optional skills if you if you want to take that into account. So that information for an employer is, is already there. So, so long as they take their take the time, I guess, to make sure and double check the skills that we say are essential for generically an early years educator to make sure that it matches their particular occupation and they can refine that obviously to, to add and remove certain skills. The rest of it is kind of all automated from their perspective because then the people that they're getting returned is all based on an algorithm. It's just looking for who matches those particular skills that you have now ratified for your particular vacancy. I think there probably is some truth in what you've just said in terms of, is it more work? Well, it, it possibly might be, but I would certainly say at the moment, passive recruitment is not working in certain sectors. I just don't think there's enough interest in certain vacancies. We kind of did touch on on it earlier about the, how the labour market's changed and the, the, the kind of millions of people that since pre-pandemic are now economically inactive compared to where it was before the pandemic. And we don't fully know the reasons why people have left, but, you know, a lot of it might be for, for health reasons, you know, in, in terms of the, the, the unable really to perform the, the job that they've, that they've done before. But maybe if those skills that those people have got, those economically inactive people that do want to work, if they realise they can use those skills in other areas that are maybe less physically demanding if it is a health issue, we can add more more productivity to the labour market by utilising those people who want to get back into the labour market. But I just don't think employers are going to be able to find those people unless they do things in a, in a kind of different way. There's two things you said there that I think are actually really interesting. The first, when you're talking about actually it might be more work, like actually thinking about what you said and thinking about the way that I think it might be more work in the consideration of putting the job advert together in terms of identifying the skills or using the technology, say for example, something like Skills Miner to say like these are the skills and check in and actually just putting that little bit of extra time into the advertisement itself. But then it sounds like it could actually be a lot less work in terms of actually going through all of those applications and deciding on what a shortlist might look like and who you might want to actually meet to interview because it, it, it sounds like that, that a little bit of that's done it is yeah yeah it's kind of all done for you really once you've made that once you've made that a decision to utilize the system in that way and i think that the problem is probably is time in some cases but i think the bigger problem for me it's a changing in the way you deliver that model of recruitment, you know, because I think people are understandably welded to doing something the way that they've, it's been done for kind of hundreds of years. You put a job advert out somewhere. The medium's changed. It used to be in the paper. Now it's more online. But I think obviously what a lot of people are finding is they're just not getting a lot of traction with that anymore you know unless the job is really really well paid or there's a really good purpose behind the organization lots of people are struggling so if you change the way you work then you'd expect maybe to yield some different results that way yeah that makes sense you said about there not being a lot of people applying for jobs and i think there's a both sides thing there because i think that there is that Sometimes it is that there are no people applying for the job. But actually, one of the reasons that recruitment takes so much time when you're actually recruiting is that sometimes actually you get loads of applicants. They're just not the right ones. So it's people who say, for example, like I know that there's a, a job website where you can literally just click a button 
and it applies for the job for you. So you get a lot of people pot looking it through, clicking buttons to, to just apply for as many jobs as they can. But from an employer point of view, that's not always helpful because you have to read every single one of those CVs and cover letters and, and, and make a shortlist. And that can take a lot of time. So I think getting the job advert right, whether that's that skills matching bit or putting that time in just to make sure that you're really given all of the information that people need to make it a real decision can help cut down the time it takes after that. The other thing you said that was really interesting was about those economically inactive people and sort of the going back to work bit. And one of the things I was mulling over the other day about that is that, again, when I worked in welfare to work, one of the barriers for a lot of the people who were on my caseload was that after a period of two years not being at work, their confidence was decimated. The idea of applying for a job and going for an interview and selling themselves to an employer and having to talk about the gap in their CV and sort of justify it was just terrifying. I feel that starting with skills and starting with, look how amazing you are. Look at all these things you can do and look at how you can ever, like, it's not like you saying, I think I'm good at this. It's you saying, I can do this and here's where I can prove it. I feel like that's quite a, a nice way to maybe support some of those economically inactive people to to start to explore their options. I totally agree. And and just going back to your first point on there as well, uh, when you get in that, that raft of applications and you're having to physically go through CVs, it, it, the, the information on those CVs isn't ordered in a way that's really beneficial to the employer at all. And that's obviously what, what we're trying to do with Skills Mining. We're showing you the bits that, that are relevant. You do have to you know, possibly change the way that you, that you operate to a degree, but it's looking at people in a much more skills-based solution. You know, th- These are the skills that, that this person's got compared to the requirements of what you've got. We can literally kind of say, you know, when you're, when you're matching that person to the vacancy that you've got, this person has 63% of the skills that are suited for your occupation that's a much quicker way and more more effective way as well of being able to judge a person's suitability than it is really trying to almost sometimes read between the lines of a cv because that's sometimes what you have to do because there's always this mismatch of the requirements of a job and what somebody's interpreted the requirements of that job and then has tailored their cv to kind of match that but a bit like you said as well don a lot of people just won't bother doing that. They'll just click the easy apply option or they'll just bung in their existing CV without really tailoring it to those requirements. That's where the inefficiencies cause problems in that recruitment process for me because it's not working from either side. You know, the, the individual isn't really describing themselves or selling themselves effectively and the employer themselves can't really get a good picture of what that, that person's skill set is as well. And then on to your second point about the, the kind of economically inactive angle. Absolutely. You know, for those for those individuals that are trying to get back into the labour market, it's quite striking that we've got about, what is it, 1.6 million, I think, in the UK, economically inactive people that want to work. And we've got like a bit of a labour market crisis at the moment with people crying out for for people to, to work. It's not working because we're not we're not engaging with those people at all. If we can, and if those people realise that they're not going to probably end up doing what they were doing before they left the labour market, there's a good chance that, that they'll benefit from it and, the, and of course, the employers will benefit as well. But it does, it does require a bit of a change in, in mentality. And I think one of the things that, that we're interested in doing this area is making it more of like a, a pledge between an employer and an individual that we're kind of, this isn't your traditional way of approaching recruitment. You know, you're, if you're an employee, you might be looking at, 
I don't know, more flexible working hours, just more flexibility in the role altogether, different hours, different shift patterns, all of those type of things to accommodate the reality of what the labour market might look like for for the foreseeable future. Yeah, Um, I suppose there's that other bit as well, isn't there? There'll be loads of people who are now economically inactive because actually they they might have been in a a fairly well-paid job before. Maybe their their man, their partner, has had a, a decent income and... They've realised that the reason they're economically inactive is because their their wife or their husband earns too much money for them to be able to claim benefits. It might be that those people are actually looking for something that is more about making them happy at work. If if the bills are covered and then you know they're economically inactive, they don't have to go out and find a job. That it might be that some of those people can bring some of those skills from very rich backgrounds into roles that would traditionally be seen as as entry level because they might be looking for something that is more flexible or less stressful or more stressful but more rewarding and all of those different sort of areas are are a little bit open to to new blood at the minute. I think. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I, I think that obviously you're always hardwired almost to think that the, those economically inactive people might be from more like kind of blue collar elementary occupations, and that isn't the case necessarily. You know, it's it's from a really diverse group of people that have had to change their working practices. I've seen one study where a lot of a lot of people actually, when the lockdowns were happening, had to homeschool the kids. And once they'd actually finished doing, once schools went back, they'd realised actually that probably for the reasons that you just described where income wasn't the biggest priority, then subsequently decided they don't necessarily want to go back to the job that they've done before. And because they don't have to, they're kind of stuck in that world, but they are telling us that they want to work. It's just they don't really want to work in the job that they did before. So, you know, I don't want to keep on going back to that earlier example, but Lots of people in early years will find that incredibly rewarding. So somebody who might have had a real white collar job, but that can possibly go in and work with children, you know, might find that incredibly rewarding, but they won't be thinking of doing that. And employers don't have a mechanism really to be able to find those people either. I think that's the same is true within care. Like I think one of the problems with recruitment within care work has always been people not knowing how to talk about their skills or to make that link between yes, I can do all of these things, like here's where I can demonstrate that stuff. And one of the biggest or one of the most clear examples of that that I can give is that when I worked in welfare to work, it was very difficult for someone who had experience of caring for a family member. So someone who has been the main carer for their mum, as she's gotten older and unwell. It's very, it, it historically was very difficult for those people to move from that unpaid care role, which might have been all-encompassing 50-something hours a week, like really, really hard work, into a role as a paid care worker. And it wasn't that those people didn't have the skills or the experience. And in some ways, in some circumstances, some of those skills are harder to work with when you're, for example, navigating interpersonal relationships, which are close family relationships at the same time as starting to give personal care or navigating that carer relationship alongside also having to have a personal relationship. But I feel that now with something like Skills Minor or with that ability to sort of look at it on a very granular skills and sales basis that it might be it may be easier for care homes and and, and and care agencies to consider people who have the experience but don't yet know how brilliant they are. 
This is Podcash, brought to you by Cash Alumni. For job search and careers advice in care, health, and education, why not try our state-of-the-art SkillsMiner AI tool? SkillsMiner is under the careers tab of cashalumni.org.uk. That's cashalumni.org.uk. It goes back to what you were saying before, I think, about people being able to sell themselves for a job. Like, I used to tell people all the time, like, I'm rubbish at loads of the job. Like, I'm not, I'm not great at all of, all of the things. But as someone, you know, I worked for the Young People's Career Service. I've worked in employability. I'm really good at applying for jobs. So whilst I might not always be the best person for the job in real life, I always get an interview because I can tell people why I'm good or why I qualify for that job. And I do feel like we've moved into or sleptwalked into a world where it is a little bit X-factory when people are applying for job roles because it's not always the right person who gets the job. It's just the person who is the shiniest or is able to to articulate those skills better. It's quite nice being able to level the playing field a little bit. Absolutely. And I think what also helps level that playing field now is it is a bit more of a buyer's market. You know, that once upon a time, and I was probably in employability at this, maybe the same time that you were, and every single vacancy that was out there was getting hundreds and hundreds of applications. And like you say, it was very, there's no way that you can tell me that it was always the person that was the most skilled and qualified to do the job that would get the job. It was quite often just that person that would be able to sell themselves the best or produce the shiniest CV or whatever. Um, and I think trying to level that playing field, like you said, by just that recognition of actually what you have done and what you've got, you know, you're still going to have to do the sales part of it when you get to the, the kind of interview stage. And that's an important part of the process. Don't get me wrong. But I do think that an awful lot of people unfairly disadvantaged, I suppose, is the way to describe that by, by the fact that they're not able to shine a light on the skills that they've got, you know, and it, it, it's just too dependent on that two sides of A4, whether or not they're going to kind of get that job or not. There's also that self-doubt bit of it as well, though, isn't there? Because like, because I'm very conscious of how transferable skills work and how to talk about that link between jobs again, like as, as someone with a careers background, I'm quite good at doing that. So I can say like, oh, well, this job I did 12 years ago that seems totally irrelevant, like this evidence is this skill that you're looking for. And here's how I can like prove that link and show the stuff. There is, I think for me and for a lot of people, there's always that little voice in your head going, is this stupid? Am I clutching at straws? Is this really like what I look like? Are they going to look at this and go, oh, look, what a daft link to me. And so having something else, a totally sort of non-biased it's not someone who's being nice to you it's not someone who's trying to big you up or make you more confident it's not me sitting in a room going but you're great look at all these skills you've got like you can go and do the things it's a machine it's a it's a it's a robot it's it's artificial intelligence pulling something and going nope this matches that go and tell people that this matches that that for me is quite a big source of confidence that you can look at it very very objectively and know that you're not making false links. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I think that objectivity is one of the most important parts of, of what we do. And that, even if you are quite a confident person, it's still hard to do it. But if you're a bit more of a negative persuasion, the moment that you kind of input some experience that you've got and it lists those skills, that light bulb moment for individuals where they're kind of going, oh my goodness, yes, I, I do do these things. I've just never really thought about it in that way. Look at the amount of skills that I've got as a result of doing this. 
I think in of itself is a confidence builder. But from a more practical perspective, just being able to utilize that sudden knowledge that you've gained about yourself is invaluable for the next steps. And not just really, I don't even think just through the kind of application and interview process, but you can take that into the job as well. And remember when you're doing that job, how do I utilize these skills in the job that I'm, I'm doing now? Um, and I think that's really important for individuals as well, you know, from a personal perspective that they use those skills and they don't just go into a job and, you know, almost like wait to be told what to do. How can I proactively use that skill set that I've got to make sure that I'm performing or overperforming? That's a really good point. But I think that also leads into what you were talking about before when it comes to that progression planning piece. Because actually, I think one of the problems with progression planning from an employer point of view is that the most engaged people in your workforce probably aren't looking for a job. So for example, where I work at NCFE, like I love my job. I love what I do. I really enjoy everything about where I am. Like, I I mean, who wouldn't? Like, I've got a great job. So I don't have an up-to-date CV. I don't really know what my skills are because I haven't paid that much attention because I've been working on cash alumni for for five years now if a job popped up on the intranet I wouldn't pay any notice to it because I'm not looking for a new job thinking about skills minor from an employer point of view getting your team so for example if everybody at NCFE did the chat with the chatbot and found out what their skills were that would mean that our internal recruitment team our talent team could tell people about jobs that might be things that they'd be interested in as progression or would be able to say and and thinking about that translating into a nursery obviously that's that like you know you'd be a great room leader or you'd be I know you're really you know you've got this background in a kitchen working with food like as as a as a cook have you ever thought about being an early years cook and doing a panko qualification and really making that your thing or suggesting those things that people might not have thought about for themselves not because they're not capable of that because I don't think anyone could argue that I am not capable of looking at what my career options might be I've had lots of very expensive training on how to do that but actually without the motivation to do it I'm not going to look absolutely yeah and I do think that that's what we just mentioned earlier I think from that recruiter or employer perspective, maybe that's where the, the, the change needs to happen. They need to be a bit more active because like you say, there's going to be people squirreled away in, in organisations that have everything that they need to do other jobs so they can fulfil the succession planning requirements, but they're just not going to know that they're there because that person isn't isn't actively looking. So it, it, they, you know, it, it needs to change a little bit, I think, in terms of if you can aggregate all of that data for your workforce and then it's going to make that next step much easier and it probably goes back to that earlier point there might be a bit of an upfront time that's required to do that you know getting everyone in your organization to do the assessments but it's four minutes four minutes of everybody's time and then it might be a couple of specialists in your in the recruitment department that need to think a little bit about how they're going to manage the process but it's all kind of done for you the algorithms and the AI kind of do all of the clever stuff in the background it's just it's just the 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 kind of ch- slight change in the delivery model I think that is the the only slight change in it you, you're not just waiting for applications to come to you you know kind of going out and looking for that talent which lots of organizations do of course and always have done with like kind of headhunters and recruitment agencies and placing vacancies or, or like using software that that kind of finds indeed job matches or whatever job site it is you know but it's it's just having that more of an internal approach to how you how you can do your succession planning I think. One of the the nice things 
for me, thinking about again, like the implications of like how you can use skills minor is that you can do that all at once. So you can put your job together, but then you could get your internal team to do the chat with the chatbot and to, to rate the skills and to find out all about themselves. And actually, if it turns out that they're the right person for your job, they'll come up in that shortlist and they'll be there um, alongside those external people who are also maybe interested in applying for that job role. And you'll be able to find them both at once, which I think it halves that time, doesn't it, is to to, have them to to do that twice. Yeah, you get the best of both worlds then, don't you? You know, you can use your traditional approaches. So you're not having to rip it up and do something totally new. You're just getting a different angle and a, and a, and a different approach to it. And I think from purely like a skills minor perspective, it's in your control. Where sometimes we we find it hard as a as a small startup is, you know, getting the people onto the platform. So you've got that like kind of critical mass of people. So it makes it worthwhile for an employer coming in and doing it. But if you're if you're doing it on a on an internal basis, so you're doing it for NCFE or or, or any organisation that's got the the ability to be able to encourage or enforce their employees to do the assessment then it means that that piece of work's already done if you if you have that as part of almost somebody once even if you just every six months people go in update the profile add new things or whatever as part of like cpd type activity yeah like putting together a personal development plan like here's the first step like find out what your skills already are and maybe figure out how we can get you the skills that you want to progress. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, that, that again, that's often like the missing piece in CPD. And I know this is only personal experience, but when, whenever I've been in previous organisations faced with CPD, it's kind of have a look at a system and select the things that you might be interested in. And there's just not that kind of algorithmic link to what I do and where I need to get to, to kind of join those two things together. Whereas actually, by using Skills Miner, you know the skills that you should have. And if you haven't got them, then that's the thing you should be focusing on. And then if you're thinking more about the progression side of things, and you know what job it is, or your employer knows what job they'd like you to do, it's much easier then just to be able to identify what deficits they are and hopefully what, what things you can do to address those those elements as well. I think as well from an employer perspective, it's quite nice because I mean, I know you talked about like that critical mass of people, but there's three different pots of people that you can access through SkillsLiner because you've got that first like circle around you, which is your internal team. And, and obviously in an ideal world, providing opportunities to the team you've already got is a is a great way to do things. So you've got that part of people. Then you've got the wider in the the people who are directly applying for your job role through Skills Miner because there are those people on there. Say for example, for us that's Cash Alumni members. So those 20,000 people who are members of Cash Alumni can all come and they can use the chatbot to find out their things and be matched to your job role. But then there's also that sort of like wider step again where it's plugged into those giant job search database websites although they're not there specifically applying for your job you've got access to all of those people so actually if the person at the top of your list is someone who doesn't even know your job exists but you know they're looking for work because they're using monster or indeed or one of those places then you could give them a little nudge and say, you might want to apply for this job I've got because I think you'd be great. 
and, and sort of invite them in as well. So instead of having to advertise in lots of different places, you can access three very different markets of candidate all from the same place. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. And that's maybe where we sometimes sell ourselves short when we're talking about that critical mass, because there is already lots of people that are on there and available and active and looking for work. And so it, it is, like I say, I think the biggest drawback or the biggest challenge is just changing sometimes the, the the way that people think about recruitment and how they're getting people on board, you know, how, how, they're, how they're making the vacancy in the organisation attractive to those people because, again, that's that's the thing, isn't it? If, if you're looking externally, at least, there's a lot of bun fighting for, for talent that's out there now because of the way the, the kind of labour market's changed. Yeah, I think that's quite a nice place to drop in what called that action, um, which is that... If anyone listening did want to talk about using Skills Miner for their internal recruitment, we, as Cash Alumni, pay for Skills Miner for all of our members, whether you're an employer or an individual. Um, so individuals, you can find it now in the careers menu and you can go and you can talk to the friendly little chatbot who will tell you all about the weather and tell you all about why you're wonderful and then help you to make those links and also give you some really handy hints on like little missions or little things that you can immediately do to either improve on some of the areas that you're not so confident in or to help you to understand yourself a little bit better. Um, but if you're an employer, you can book some time in with me. Um, or if you're not a booking time in with people person, um, you can drop us an email and I can send you a, a quick start guide and get you set up so that you can have a play with using Skills Mine to see if it's something that might help with your recruitment. That is a free service for all of our members. Dan, it's been really, really lovely to talk to you. Great way to spend a Monday morning. Thanks for listening to Podcash. If you enjoyed it, please follow or subscribe on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. You can also watch many of these conversations by heading over to cashalumni.org.uk and going to the CPD and best practice section of the site. That's cashalumni.org.uk.